This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, I talk with author and activist, Sister Soldier. She gained national attention in 1992 when presidential candidate Bill Clinton condemned her for some of her stances and remarks on race in America. You had a, a rap singer here last night named Sister Soldier. I defend her right to express herself through music. But her comments before and after Los Angeles were filled with the kind of hatred that you do not honor today and tonight. Just listen to this, what she said. She told the Washington Post about a month ago, and I quote, if black people kill black people every day, why not have a week and kill white people? So you're a gang member and you normally kill somebody, why not kill a white person? Last year, she said, you can't call me or any black person anywhere in the world a racist. We don't have the power to do to white people what white people have done to us. And even if we did, we don't have that low-down, dirty nature. If there are any good white people, I haven't met them. Where are they? Right here in this room. That's where they are. 
I know she is a young person, but she has a big influence on a lot of people. And when people say that, if you took the words white and black and you reversed them, you might think David Duke was giving that speech. The native New Yorker, born Lisa Williamson, became a lightning rod and controversial in the media. She was seen as a provocateur by some and a righteous warrior by others. Here's a portion of her 1992 press conference after Bill Clinton's rebuke of her. I stand before you today feeling very confident, steadfast, and powerful. At the same time, I am surprised that as a young African woman, I have impacted and effected the development of not only national politics, but international politics as well. It is very shocking to me that in a time of American economic recession and inner city urban chaos, Democratic presidential contender Bill Clinton has chosen to attack not the issues, but a young African woman who is very well educated, alcohol free, drug free, a successful self-employed businesswoman and a community servant. Considerable time has been spent debating whether America should take seriously the words of a rap artist or so-called entertainers. Let me clarify for the press now who I am. I am sister soldier, Sony epic rapper, activist, organizer, and lecturer. I was born in the Bronx in New York City, spent the earlier part of my life there, was raised by my mother with four children, was on and off the welfare system for approximately 15 years, lived in government-subsidized housing called The Projects, and was classified by sociologists as being in the underclass, meaning living below the poverty line in a vicious cycle of poverty that America says cannot be broken. I supplemented my own education in the white American school system by reading African history, which was intentionally left out of the curriculum of American students. By doing so, I was able to become the well-balanced, reassured, and confident woman that I am today. Soldier would become a voice for black empowerment. She was a rap artist and became a best-selling author. She would go on to write a number of popular novels, including the acclaimed Coldest Winter Ever. This year, after more than two decades, she released the sequel, Life After Death. The book continues to chronicle the life of the book's main character, Winter Santiago. I started our conversation by bringing up another conversation. I was talking to someone who uh, I was saying that I was going to do an interview with you. And they said, oh, my God, we need her voice. Where has she been? Now, sometimes people are out there and because they're not seen on newscasts every week, people assume that they've gone away. What do you say to people who say, where are you? We need your voice now. Well, um, I guess I just say I'm right here. <laughs> uh, you know, when you are the person that someone's looking for, you're not lost to yourself, uh, although you may not be accessible to the people who are looking for you. Um, but I'm here. Uh, I think the main difference in the past decade or two in my life has been that I've become a full time author. 
whereas before I was a full-time activist. Uh, some people ask me, why did I quit? And the answer is I didn't quit. And if you read any of my books, you would feel and see the activism in my books. We're going to get into those books in, in just a few minutes, but I want to ask you, uh, when you look at today, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the world, America found you in the early 90s, and there was so much going on even then. Uh, you know, we have Black folk haven't been out of turmoil since they brought us here. Uh, but when you look at today, what do you see in terms of the differences, maybe some of the bigger hurdles that perhaps in the 90s you thought we would have overcome them or at least nothing else but lowered them by now that we have not Well, there are differences on both sides. Uh, there are differences in our own community. Uh, And then there are differences in the rest of the American population. So I'd say in terms of us, starting with us first, in the 90s, we had uh, a whole lot of intelligent, intuitive, active voices um, of all ages. And that was really very important to me. You know, I came out as sister soldier and I was, you know, a young woman, uh, but I felt very secure by the fact that, you know, there were so many seasoned elders whose voices were there also providing, you know, leadership and analysis and and access, you know, so that we could work together. I think uh, uh, having a movement is so important to be able to achieve a goal. I don't really believe in and I never believed in, you know, a superhero concept that there's one uh, person, one human being that's going to save the whole race of people. I always thought of myself as part of a movement. And that's why I call myself sister. Uh, You know, the assumption is that, you know, we're an army of sisters and brothers and we're an army of men and women and and youth and elders. In today's time, uh, I don't feel that same sense of diversity of uh, voices of all ages um, with that sharp analysis and that deep-rooted commitment. And the youth, uh, the army of the youth, uh, is essential to any movement. Uh, I don't feel a unity among young people Uh, in a movement. I think there's a unity in our dissatisfaction and there's a unity in our disgust, but there's not a unity in our organization and in our movement and in our setting of goals and taking of actions. Do you think, you know, you talk about the intellectual thought of, of the movement, certainly it was there in the 60s. I think sometimes we romanticize the past you know, and and assume that everybody was in lockstep. And those of us that know history know that that wasn't true. But there does seem to be a disconnection. Part of it is social media. The rise of anyone with enough followers has a platform. Uh, And say what you will, not everyone deserves a platform in the sense of being called a leader. You can voice your opinion. But Mm. the idea of critical thought, and yes. people uh, following it. When you look at today, you know, you were really ahead of the curve when I think about intellectual celebrity thought, because you became a celebrity through the controversy. 
but you had the intellectual capability um, to really have critical thought. I don't see that today. I see a lot of people with platforms. I see a lot of people with uh, thoughts, but the analysis isn't always backed by fact or intellect. Do you, do you see that and are you bothered by that at all? Well, I think there has been a downgrade in every area, in every profession, in every occupation, and in every age group. Uh, for example, you know, when I was a college student, we were taught uh, how to do research. Um, we were taught to document everything and to footnote everything and to show uh, where we got this information from. We were taught the difference between a primary source, a secondary source, a tertiary source. Um, when I worked on the school newspaper in high school and then again in university, uh, it mattered so much what you uh, put in print and you had to be able to back it up. Um, but I don't see that today. I see a lot of people just winging it. Uh, even people who are professionals who get paid a lot of money are winging it. Uh, I see a lot of people giving their opinions uh, as though their opinions are facts or uh, as though their hypotheses have been researched and they haven't. And I see people in journalism who are not following any of the journalistic creed that we learned as young journalists journalist, you know, back in my, in my day. I also see in the field of law and in the judiciary, uh, people accusing people of things, very serious things, very serious crimes, and not having to come with the evidences, uh, the way that evidence was viewed in the past. And I think that this is very dangerous. I see a whole cancel culture, which for me, uh, a historian reminds me of McCarthyism, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, if you're not saying uh, something in a Walt Disney tone, if you're not uh, appeasing certain interest groups, then uh, people want to cancel your ability to work and to earn and to feed your family and to have a voice and a platform. So, yeah, it's a very different world than, you know, when I was that young activist. When you look at activism today uh, from our side, from our community, what do you like and what don't you uh, what don't you like? Well, I mean, the first thing I like is that that it's happening. <laughs> I think it's important for uh, young people to question uh, their environment. I think it is important for uh, people to get involved at every level, uh, not just uh, politically, but economically, uh, uh, getting uh creatively, just in all the different dimensions and facets of the United States of America to get involved and to be active. So I'm always happy when that's happening. When I see the athletes uh, take a stand, I think that that's great. And the reason why I think it's great is because when I was in the university, there was a very big push to keep the athletic community uh, in a neutral stance, like they were just titans who should just play ball and not think, 
you know, not give an opinion, not have a political position, uh, not use their even their economic uh, uh, wherewithal to to influence anything. And so I think it's great when I see, you know, uh, the athletes taking a stand and the entertainers taking a stand, especially because they know uh, that they may be penalized for it and they may lose money for it. Um, so I'm happy about that. Again, what I think uh, is missing is the scholarship. Uh, not the scholarship for the sake of prestige or being uppity or, you know, feeling like you're better than people, but the scholarship uh, for the value that research and knowledge brings to strategizing. You know, I think that that's so important. We already know as a people that it's not good enough for us to have an emotional, a justifiable emotional outburst. We already know that the only thing that happens when we do that is is it increases our incarceration level. Um, so there has to be a strategy uh, put together by regular folks and scholars and thinkers, historians and researchers, lawyers and doctors and just every different level, which is what we had uh, in the 90s. And it was not perfect, but it was excellent. When we return, Sister Soldier on today's Black leadership and the importance of self-reflection. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. 
Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There was always a sense of um, grading, if you will, quote unquote, black leadership, traditional leadership, Mm. Um, because the the definition of leadership really is in the eye of the beholder, I think. But when we Mm. characterize it as traditional, I think we all can get a sense of of what we think that is. Um, You know, the civil rights organizations, the church leaders, et cetera, et cetera, down down the the, down the line. We've seen. a diminishing of that, I think, to a great degree, as I said, as social media moves and, and media itself moves, there are emerging leaders, um, justified or not, who take up a lot of the playing field. Um, what do you think about traditional Black leadership today? Leadership to me has uh, always been a bit contrived, meaning uh, there are gatekeepers that lock certain people out of uh, uh, the ab- out of having a platform, a microphone, having access, being covered. Uh, there are people who get uh, whitelisted, which people normally say blacklisted, but there are people who get whitelisted. And so the population doesn't have access to their voice. Some people just, dis- some leaders just disappear and people say, where are they? What happened to them? But they don't have access. They're whitelisted and they can't, you know, nobody is going to cover them or bring them into your home uh, through the media. And that's the bottom line. Uh, so uh, whenever a leader is uh, too sharp, uh, too intelligent, um, too sincere, um, too moving, too passionate, uh, too strategic, you will see a blackout that happens, a whiteout that happens on, on that leadership. And interestingly enough, a lot of the Black 
people in the media in so-called high positions participate in that white out of, of, of those individuals. Uh, so how I see the leadership now is I see the whole, I see everything now as people being more lazy, uh, not wanting to think too hard, not wanting to study too hard, not wanting to read too many books, not wanting to get out there and organize. You know, uh, when I was young, there wasn't a place that I wouldn't go to if there was a willing ear and a, a willing heart. You know, I'm going there. I wasn't afraid of the projects. I wasn't afraid of the hood. I wasn't afraid of the people. And I knew that if you came with love to people, uh, you would be greeted and received with love. And if you came with information, if you didn't talk above the heads of the people and you broke it down and made everything digestible uh, and comprehensible, then, uh, you know, comprehensive, then, then the people would accept it and learn from it and grow from it and thrust forward. Uh, so right now, um, I don't see that. So it's just a, there's just a big a big difference. I think also in the '90s there were just so many dynamic traditional leaders. Like whether or not you agreed with whether they were militant enough or forceful enough or you know self sacrificing enough, they were still dynamic voices. You know, the same way you have a difference. They had a difference in the 60s between uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and Eldridge Cleaver and, you know, Angela Davis. And, you know, there were differences in their agenda, in their message, in their delivery, in their activism. But just the fact that you had all those voices and all of those minds and all of those options uh, in the ear of the people was made it a dynamic era, you know? Yeah. How important do you think traditional leadership in our community is? I mean, I think about uh, some who will suggest that we have a lot of leadership today. It's not just in the traditional form. There were people who sprung up from, uh, you know, the Ferguson protest and, and, and we can go down the line. Um, how important do you think it is to keep those traditional voices? It's important to keep the voices that are the voices to me of people that have a certain uh, scholarship, a certain understanding of the dynamic. Because if you don't have that understanding, then you may become popular, but you may mislead people, you know, or you may disappoint the people. So the scholarship is important. Uh, the honesty is important, uh, the ability to sacrifice and to know that even when you're leading the people, you know, there's going to be some pushback. You're going to get isolated. You're going to get penalized economically. You, you know, you may lose some days, <laughs> uh, days where you are incarcerated unjustifiably, God forbid, you know, there are all these things and consequences. And I think that that's what causes the uh, the kind of dissolving of traditional leadership. You know, it really is a tremendous job. And it's, uh, you know, I think if you are a person who uh, is grateful to God and you believe that God is your protection, you can keep doing that job. But if you were waiting for the thank yous from the people, 
or the support from the people or a paycheck from the people, um, then you probably would be disappointed and silly for waiting for such. I um, was looking at some of your recent interviews as I was getting ready for this. Mm. And one of the things that you said that I found very interesting, because this doesn't always happen, is you suggested that um, there was a need for self-reflection and that you have grown uh, from the sister soldier we met in the early 90s to who you are today. Give me a sense of your journey uh, of self-reflection of late and, and, you know, where you, where you are versus where you've been. Mm, Self-reflection. I think uh, when I think of self-reflection, I think of really just each of us thinking about how we have lived this life and the choices that we have made. So when I'm self-reflecting, I'm seeing if I have been good in terms of uh, my faith. Uh, When I'm self-reflecting, I can see all of the mistakes I made um, in terms of my faith, because in faith, you have uh, guidelines and a criteria. And when you're young, especially if you grow up in African American uh, faith-based institutions, uh, there isn't very specific instructions given to you, and there aren't really good examples given to you. It's kind of a generic, uh, we should be good, but if we don't, you know, Jesus forgives us and died for our sins. And I think that people get really comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with that, you know, with that way of looking at it. I think I'm responsible for anything I did right. And I'm responsible for anything that I did wrong. And the things that I did wrong, I'm conscious of of them. I'm not, uh, I'm responsible to admit spiritually to my, my sins. Uh, and I'm responsible spiritually to atone for them. I think now when people self-reflect, they have all of this tricky language where they don't have to be honest with themselves. Oh, you're shaming me. Oh, you're blaming me. Oh, you're hurting my feelings. (laughs) You know, all of this, you know, stuff, which really is ridiculous to me. Um, I think we each should be ashamed of the things that we know we should be ashamed of. I believe that each of us receives instructions from the maker in our soul. And each of us is aware when we are violating those instructions. Uh, Even if we're not uh, consciously in words and detail aware, we're aware in feelings. We feel that we're doing something wrong and we choose to ignore it or not ignore it. Uh, I look at that and uh, I look at how uh, maybe I made a mistake in trying to uh, believe that we could just move forward based on the commonality of us being black. You know, I believe that with all my heart and soul, but I think it does matter who you think you are, no matter what race you are. 
Because if you're black and good, well, thank God. But if you're black and you're part of the problem, like Malcolm said, like Malcolm said, you know, you're either part of the solution or part of the problem. If you're part of the problem, but your skin is black, to me, you're not part of the movement unless you self-reflect and self-correct, you know, which I believe every soul is responsible for itself. And that's what we each must do. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a conversation with Sam Jackson and, and he was talking about the idea that there are certain commonalities that we share as black people. But if you go back to where we came from, mm. uh, we are tribal in nature. And yeah. so the idea of being monolithic in everything we do and say and feel um, isn't even who we are at our core. It is the idea that some of what we deal with here that is monolithic has been forced upon us based on how America has treated us to a great degree. So it's it's an interesting concept to, to look at that. Yes. Well, America has always had a race problem. Uh, and America sees things through race first. There are other societies where class is more important than race. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but America will always look at everything uh, racially, and it it places quite a burden on on people of color. And the darker your skin is, the heavier the burden is. And even if you are a good person and a beautiful person and an honest person, if your skin is black, you have a bigger burden. And the lighter your skin is, the lesser your burden will be in terms of race, which is center stage in the United States of America. So I don't want to uh, be in the chorus of people who are saying that racism no longer exists. I don't want to be part of the people that uh, uh, characterize a person who mentions race as somebody who's playing the race card. Race in America is a reality. It is something that people judge you for. Uh, You can get locked up because of the color of your skin and not because of anything that you did wrong. You can get shot, dead, murdered, and your murderer can be set free just based on the color of your skin in America. If you're a black mother, you live your whole life in fear for the safety of your sons in the United States of America. And this is a serious problem. So I don't want to uh, act like uh, it no longer exists because it does. It is. It it does exist. It's very. It's a very, very heavy burden. Yeah, it doesn't escape us at all. And and sadly, uh, I have been this light my entire life, and there is a certain burden that light folk carry within our community. Yes, needing to prove yourself to be black enough uh, for some of us. It is a sad state that we find ourselves in as relates to race in this country. Um, Even, uh, you know, in our house. Uh, So, you know, you are so right. Uh, Race has been front and center for America. Join us next week for part two of our conversation with Sister Soldier. We'll talk about her prolific writing career, the impact her classic, The Coldest Winter Ever, had on a generation of readers, 
and what she wants people to get from the sequel, Life After Death. I wanted Life After Death to uh, cause uh, self-reflection for every individual and self-reflection for every nation. So join us next week for part two of our conversation with Sister Soldier. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Saving starts with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.